That's what the problem is. All right, Luke 19, okay, Luke 19. I, I picked this particular passage out for a reason. It's one of the few passages that's actually um, in every gospel. Father, I pray that you'd speak to our hearts, Lord, during the message. And Father, may you just uh, speak to our hearts in a powerful way. I pray that the soil around our hearts would be good, that we would just be mentally be ready to receive uh, what you have for us, Lord. Uh, on this day, God, where we just honor you as Lord and King, Father. And we're just further remembered about um, how in control you are, about who really sits on the throne, about whose vantage point is really the best, who knows all the facts and sees all the things and all the situations. We come to you, Father. I know you'll speak to our hearts this morning, so I pray that we are listening eager to pay attention, excited to put into practice. In Jesus' name, amen. Um, yeah, so I kind of uh, struggled a little bit with getting away from 1 Samuel because uh, I'm having a lot of fun studying through 1 Samuel. I, I think, it seems like most of you are as well. But um, I just felt the, the desire to kind of digress a little bit, talk about Palm Sunday. I always love, it's really, let me put it to you this way. It's very difficult to come across a day that's just focused on Jesus and all about Jesus and say, eh, you know, I don't know, maybe we'll talk about something else. But technically all the Bible points to Jesus, but this really is a day where it's really, it's heavy on Jesus. And honestly, that's like an issue with a lot of churches, a lot of places. You can kind of say a lot of things and believe a lot of different things, but as soon as you talk about Jesus a lot, uh, it gets kind of weird. It doesn't leave a lot of wiggle room for a lot of things. When you have somebody who says, I am the resurrection, the truth, and the life, and nobody comes to the Father except through me, these are radical, huge statements that not everybody makes. And he's the one that says it. And so, uh, hey, listen, he's Savior, King, Judge, Lord, all of it. Amen? That's just who he is. It's amazing. And then we get to be in fellowship with them. It's incredible. I was uh, pulling up to uh, yesterday, just trying to get a bunch of different things done, all kinds of chores done. And it's amazing how, ef- how efficient you could be with chores before kids and then after kids. It's like, wow. Sometimes I really miss those pre-days of trying to get things done before kids because you can be just so efficient and just get stuff done. Because then when you have kids, it's like, well, it's fun to do stuff with them, and you like to teach them, and it's good for them to learn. And honestly, the best way that they learn is by doing things with you. Right? You can't, everybody knows you can't you know, just talk to them and just preach at them and then tell them what to do. Like, especially when they're young, you've got to show them everything. And then they have to own it themselves, and they grow in it. You know? That takes a lot of time. It takes a lot of time to talk about, let alone actually doing it. So we're just getting stuff done. We had to get all the palms, and we had to run a bunch of errands. And I had uh, Jaron with me in the truck. And, uh, you know, we're just having a nice day, just doing a dad and son stuff. It's just a great day. And, and then we're driving down the road. 
I was like, okay, but we've got to run to the church. We've got to do a bunch of different things, and we've got to throw the palms in there and do all this. He said, Dad, he goes, uh, he goes why, are we, why are we getting palms? I said, oh, for Palm Sunday. And uh, he goes, he go, and then he just kind of paused because I knew I'd have to explain something to him. I didn't really know how much he knew, even though we talk about it, but still. Even though you talk about it with kids, it doesn't mean that they actually get what's happening or what's going on. You know, much like us adults, you could tell me something, and hopefully I'm nodding and saying yes, but who knows if I'm actually getting it, right? Yeah, okay. And who knows if you got what I just said, but all right. Um, so he goes, I pause, and he goes, Hosanna, Hosanna, Hosanna. And I'm like, I'm like you're right, bud. Yeah, like, Hosanna. He goes, no, Hosanna. I'm like, okay, <laughs> Hosanna. You're right. I defect to you. That's fine. Hosanna. And I said, I said, yeah, I said, uh, I said, do you know, you know, that word, or, you know, as we're driving down the road here, I said, do you know the word? And he said, I, I don't know that. I said, Hosanna. He said, that's Palm Sunday. I said, you're right. I said, you know, I said, the reason why they're saying Hosanna uh, is because Jesus, he was coming down the road, and everybody was very excited to see him, and he, he's the king, and they never really treated him like a king before, and they were treating him like a king. And they were saying Hosanna, or Hosanna, he had to correct me again, Hosanna, uh, which means save us, save us, because he's a king, and they're saying save us. And then they took the palms, and they waved them, and they put their clothes down, and I said, it was, it was like a pretty big deal. Um, and I love his response right after that. His response was, well, he's not here anymore. <laughs> I'm the only one that I guess that enjoyed that. I just love the candid frankness about it. I said, you're absolutely right. Like, Jesus, he's not here, and he's not coming to Nog Talk, like, tomorrow, so... You're right, it might seem odd that, that we're doing that. And I don't think his almost six-year-old brain is the only one that, like, thinks that. I mean, honestly, you know, really, what is the deal? Like, why do that? Uh, he did that one time. And, and to be honest with you, the next time Jesus comes back, it's not going to be on a donkey. We're not going to be waving palms. And the book of Revelation makes it super clear. He's going to be riding on a horse. He's got tattoos on his thigh. He has a sword coming out of his mouth. And he's just, that's scary. Like, that's the way he's coming in next time. So the first time, it was Jesus saving people from sins, becoming sin, taking our place. That's, that was the mission. I need to take Jared's place. I need to take Kayla's place, whoever's place. All of mankind, I need to take their place and pay for them because they're not going to be able to pay it off. So I'm going to pay. And then the next time he comes, he says, hey, listen, everything I had, I inherited and gave to you. They say, what did you do with it? Did you receive it? What did you do? And that's the way it comes next time. That's like pretty sobering stuff. So I didn't tell Jaron all that stuff. (laughs) Blow him away. Honestly, all he would have heard in that entire thing was sword. That's all he would have heard. And we would have been doing swords with the palms inside here, and then that's what would have happened. So I don't even know where our conversation. Oh, I, yeah, so he said, hey, daddy's not here. I said, but, I said, you know what? You're totally right. I said, I said, but, you know what we still do, it's still good for us, even for the adults, is to remember who our king really is. Because bud, daddy's not the boss, mommy's not the boss. We're not the bosses. There's a boss that's 
bigger than us. Like, we're your bosses, and I know you see it that way, and we're in charge of you. I said, but somebody that's in charge of us, it's important that we remember that because sometimes we can think we're the boss. And so I think that got through a little bit, you know. We'll still have time to work on stuff, but I don't think we need to celebrate Palm Sunday because Jesus needs to hear it. You with me on this? Like, I don't think Jesus is sitting there on his throne saying, I need to hear worship today. This is my Palm Sunday where I came in on a donkey and I need to receive this today. They need to remember. I don't, I don't think he's a needy Jesus who sits in heaven as sort of like an egomaniac kind of person. May I suggest to you that it's probably really important for us to continue to celebrate these days of what he did and who he is because there's no real benefit. I think he enjoys our relationship and our praise, absolutely. But can I suggest to you that most of the joy and the benefit is honestly going to come into our lives when we put him in his proper place and we put us in our proper place. And honestly, that's what I feel like really struck my heart, uh, you know, this Palm Sunday. There's this idea of he is, here, he is Lord and King and Savior of all. And then there's us. The ones he came to save, which he delighted to create in. He created all of us with a destiny. He empowered and equipped all of us. We are treasured possessions to him. Otherwise, why is he dying for you? And why is he dying for me? Him and the Father thought it was more than worth it. But I think that dynamic of he's my He's my father, yes, but he's also my king and he's also my savior and then he'll also be my judge, but honestly, there's not going to be anything to judge because I'm, I'm already with him. Like I have a coworker, and he, he, he knows the Christian lingo really well and he's pretty sarcastic and we joke around a lot and, uh, and, we, and we also get along pretty well besides all the sarcasm and all that stuff. But one of the cliches and things that you know he talks about when we talk about Jesus and we talk about God, because he very much knows, you know, we planted a church, he knows my family, he knows where I'm coming from, and he's always talking about, you know, the Jesus stuff. And I say, hey, man, I said, listen, at some point in time, you have to give your entire life over to Jesus. I said, you need to understand that. I said, you're wrestling with it, and, and I know he is, and he, and he wouldn't deny it, even if he was here this morning. He might even listen online, which he might, sometimes he does said, listen, I, I know you're wrestling with it, but you, you literally have to give him everything, everything. And typically, a response I know he will give is, I have a relationship with my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And usually I roll my eyes, because I'm not trying to be rude, that's not why I roll my eyes, but I roll my eyes because I, I know what he's doing. What he's doing is he's just throwing a cliche back at me that most Christians would just say, Oh, well, that's good. Like, he knows that there's a relationship. That's good. And honestly, it's not good. He's manipulating is what he's doing. So I said, no, no, no. I said, listen, relationship is good, but the dynamic of the relationship is the important part. He is your king and your savior. I said, do you get that part? Oh, well, 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 I don't, I don't, you know. And then we start talking more about things. But it's that, that, that dynamic of that he is king. He is savior. He is Lord. And then 
I was created to be in fellowship with him. And, and really, that's where I find the most joy, the most purpose, the most peace is when I'm in close fellowship with him. And also for you. Like that was the name of the game. He created us to be with him. And, um, man, once we have that perspective, or say perspective. Once we have that perspective, it really changes everything. And that was kind of just the one thing I want to talk about today, not super long, was about perspective. So what I want to do is just want to look at this passage, and then I wanted to share with you my personal favorite in the Psalms about perspective. So are you with me? Check it out? Okay. So let's just read through the passage, and then I just want to bring something to your attention. It's going to sound very familiar to the Matthew one, because they were both there. Okay? But how many people know? Two people, three people can be in the same place, but have different takeaways. Right? So here's Luke's takeaway. It says, After Jesus had said this, he went on ahead, going up to Jerusalem. As he approached Bethpage and Bethany at the hill, called the Mount of Olives, He sent two of his disciples, saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you, and as you enter it, you will find a colt tied there, which no one has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, Why are you untying it? Tell him the Lord needs it. Those who were sent ahead went and found it, just as he had told them. As they were untying the colt, its owners asked them, Why are you untying the colt? They replied, The Lord needs it. They brought it to Jesus, threw their cloaks on the colt, and put Jesus on it. As he went along, people spread their cloaks on the road. When he came near the place where the road goes down the Mount of Olives, the whole crowd of disciples began joyfully to praise God in loud voices for all the miracles they had seen. Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. Some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to Jesus, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. I tell you, he replied, if they keep quiet, the stones will cry out. As he approached Jerusalem and saw the city, he wept over it. And he said, if you, even you, had only known on this day what would bring you peace, but now it is hidden from your eyes. Verse 43, the days will come upon you when your enemies will build an embankment against you and encircle you and hem you in on every side. They will dash you to the ground, you and the children within the walls. They will not leave one stone on another because you did not recognize the time of God's coming to you here's the thing that sticks out to me about this passage is that obviously we talked about Palm Sunday and the incredible celebratory atmosphere. But yet, we just read that as everybody's celebrating, the contrast is Jesus himself, he's actually crying. Isn't that strange, right? Like, So they're celebrating, he's crying. And like I said, it was really the only time that he was actually really being treated like who he was. I mean, being celebrated as king. But yet he was crying about what was happening. And the reason why right, he was crying was he says they didn't recognize the peace that was in front of them. And then he goes on to say, I know in about, well, it's like 40, 50 years from this time, about 40, 50 years, Rome is actually going to come around uh, going to hem you in, cut things off, and they're going to overturn every stone that you have in the temple here and just totally throw this, uh, throw you guys into chaos and just do away with you. And his heart was broken by that. And his heart was broken because he knew 
that if they, they were able to see, everybody say see. If they were able to see what the situation actually was, they wouldn't have to experience what was going to come later. His heart was just broken by it. It was broken by it. So it leads me to think, I'm like, wow. So they could have been celebrating Jesus, acknowledging who Jesus was, but still be way off. Is that a little sobering? Like they were reciting Psalm, I think it was 118, when they were saying, Hosanna, Hosanna in the highest. Blessed is Jesus. He did all these miracles. He's amazing. And yet, they were still missing it. They were still missing it. They kind of had the right outward stuff going, but inside they were still like missing exactly what the deal was. That's pretty sobering to me. I'm like, oh, geez, how often have I done that in my life? I'm not any different than they are. Still people. Still human. When they were worshiping and praising, their expectation, I'm going to say expectation. This is very important because I want to talk about just perspectives a little bit. Perspectives, they help shape expectation, which then leads to a response. You with me? Perspective will then shape an expectation and then lead to a response. So their perspective was, oh, he's coming to save us. Save us, save us. Yes, the king is here. The king is coming. Meaning, awesome. We're going to overturn Rome. We're going to have our own place finally. We'll be our own country again. And he's going to set it up and establish it. And the truth is, Jesus will do that, but it wasn't in that mission. They, they just they missed it. So because their perspective was off, their expectations were off, they expected the king to do it. So by the end of the week, when the king who was supposed to completely change their lives and make everything better, wasn't even defending himself on trial, they're like, whatever. Like, I, he is not what we thought he was. So then that led to the response. Crucify him. Cru- what? We're done. And you see like how crazy that is and how dangerous it can be? And I hope you see the value of perspective in that. Perspective is huge. I mean, it is huge. The way we see things. That's what perspective is. The way you and I see things. How many people know that the way you see things is not the only way to see things. hey But it's so amazing how we like walk through life, but it's like, no, the way I saw it, that's the way it happened. That's what you said. That was the scene. These are the people involved. This is what they said. Like, it's very interesting, right? I think about perspectives. I thought about a couple of things that I wrote down. When people think of perspectives, usually they think of the, the, the classic old one is the cup. Half empty, half full, right? That's the classic perspective one. Um, or then some people see it as always full or always empty. Like always full of air. Or always empty because there's no liquid in it. 
right? Have fun with that. Um, then, um, you know, there, there's one uh, old Indian uh, proverb that's usually mentioned a lot when it's talked about perspective, and they try and use it to talk about God, which it's got a lot of holes in it. But typically, the, the way it goes usually is you have, all, you have like uh, eight blind men where they can't see. Eight blind men can't see, whatever it is. Either they're closing their eyes or they're blind. They come in contact with an elephant. And all eight of them are at a different spot on the elephant. Uh, one is at, like, the, t- um, the nose there, the trunk, right? Then there are, some are at the tusks, some are at the legs. Uh, one is at the tail, one's at the belly. And they all feel different things. So the one that's at the tail, it's like, oh, okay. So then God is like, you know, this, like, rod, and he, like, administers punishment. It's hard and firm, and okay. Then one's at the leg, and it's like this big, huge, wide leg, and God is like a pillar. He's like this big, strong, you know, whatever. Then one's at the tusk, and it's like really sharp and like dangerous, and it's like a sword, you know. And so typically the proverb then explains all of their different takeaways from experiencing the elephant, and then typically the conclusion is, well, see, that is how it's like with God. See, we all experience him in different ways, through different situations, and we only get a part of him. Which, there's probably like that much truth in there. That might be generous. Like it's true, we have a unique experience with God and with our Father. But hey, what's also true about the God of the Bible anyways, he makes himself completely accessible to his children. He's not saying like, hey, I'm not going to show you this part of me you're not going to know that forgiveness part of me. I won't show you that compassionate side. I won't show you my generosity. Like, what the? No, come on. Come on now. Like, it sounds like it makes sense, and it sounds like it's good, but it's not. It's just not. So perspective, right, perspective is huge. Because what does it do? Again, right, what it does? It shapes our Expectations then leads to a response, right? Um, turn to Psalm 73. I told you I wanted to share with you my, my favorite psalm here about perspective. And as you turn in there, I want to highlight, draw your attention to one thing here when we're talking perspective. Psalm 73. Okay, perspective usually boils down to really two important things, okay? Two important items when we're talking perspective. Number one is information. Everybody say information. Information. And number two uh, has to do with location. Everybody say location. Location. So when we're going to think about perspective, like how I see something, how you see something, how you interpret it, right, comes to uh, information, right? Information. And that information could be uh, learned by experience, or it could happen from just, you know, textbooks and factual sources and just by, you know, the scientific method sort of approach. Right? You with me on that? So somebody could spend four years in college, learn about a particular subject, right? Get their degree in it, have their major, whatever. Then they actually get a job in this day and age, you know, hopefully they get a job. Don't have to wait too long. It's hard. 
Then hopefully they get a job. Then once they do, now what they have to do is they actually put into practice, right? Their perspective beforehand was just a bunch of information. You tell me information, I recite it back to you, we do a test, we do a quiz, I write it down, you give me a score. So that perspective is super limited, right? Where's the hands-on? Where's the interaction? Where's the day when all of the formulas and all the things you've been taught are completely out the window? Well, they didn't teach me that. That's because now you're getting information another way. Your perspective is about to radically change. Right? So information. Information also matters. I remember I came in contact with somebody this week. We were, uh, it was with a student, and they were very unhappy with me. And it was about a particular assignment. And they were incredibly uh, worked up. They were worked up. They were excited, like not in a positive way. And, you know, we're having conversation. And another teacher actually walked in. And he got a sense of what was happening. He's like, okay, I'll talk to you later. You know, and he just kind of walked out. And so I was trying to get somewhere productive with our conversation, but it just it really wasn't happening. And the intensity in his voice continued to escalate, and the respect level continued to deteriorate. <laughs> it just happens, you know what I mean? And, and I don't laugh because I think it's a joke and people get disrespectful, and I'm not saying that at all. See, what I'm saying is, and what, what I'm showing to you is that laughing means I have more information than you do about this particular person. See, I know why they're responding the way they're responding. It's not right that they're being disrespectful. And we're going to talk about that more with his dad. <laughs> um, and we're going to do some other things. But the, honestly, the main issue, right, the main issue that I have to be on guard with is myself and Usually, you yourselves as well, when you interact with people, especially that are just red hot, just acting a certain kind of way, it really helps to get information like, why are they doing this? Like, why are they saying and acting like this right now? And so many people can lack the ability to step back and just even entertain that and pray about it. Most people, they just stay right in it. Oh, I don't deserve to be talked to that way. They should not refer to me like that. I shouldn't be disrespected. So I'm not even listening anymore. And it's like, you know, I don't see Jesus do a lot of that. There might be a time and a place for it, but I, I, I promise you it's very small. Much of the time it's, we're called to step back and be like, all right, what exactly is happening right now? What is developing? We're called to like gather more information before we just make a response. Right? And that's where emotions can make things difficult because our emotions become high like we immediately want to respond. But perspective is like the cure-all for strong emotions. You with me? So information is a big part because I think everybody knows the more information you have, the better perspective you have, right? Right? And I just want to ask this one question before I move forward because this will just ruin everything else after um, how many people in here have all the information about everything forever? I just need to know that. Okay, good. So we're all in the same boat, right? We're lacking information. It wouldn't be so bad if occasionally we actually acted like that too, right? Good dose of humility always helps for sure. We don't always have all the information. We might even have a lot. But there's always more. 
Okay, so that matters. And then what was the other part of perspective? We said information and we said uh, location. Location, right? Location. So it matters about like where you are, right? Location. Um, you're walking through a city. Downtown North, that doesn't really count. But let's say you're in New York City. Some other city got all these high rises, right? You're walking through and you're like, you know, wow. You know, just checking it all out. Boom. Going through it. And you can't even see a lot really in front of you. Right, but then you get in an airplane and you go over it. Totally different. Now, like, you could see everything. But I mean, you have a completely different view. Your vantage point is totally different now, right? Just by changing locations. You could experience Naugatuck today. You could experience it at church, in a building. Then you could be at home. Or you could be in the yard. Or you could be, like, hitting up one of the trails. Down at Linden. Whatever you're doing. But wherever you're going to be, you're going to get a different experience, right? And your perspective is going to be different. Location has a way of just changing things. One thing that I do like about, you know, where I teach at down in West Haven is that it's close by the shore. So, if I can like steal 15 to 20 minutes regardless of the day and I can just like get in front of the water for a little bit and just make sure my phone stays in my pocket it's a challenge because then it's like oh I gotta catch up on this email get back to the day and it's like ah but if you just get there right my entire perspective is about to be changed it's amazing how that happens so perspective very much hinges upon information and location Right? Okay. And, and just to be sure, one other question in addition to the other one. How many people have ever been everywhere at the same time all at once? Okay, good. So we got the two important things out of the way. So nobody knows everything for all times, everything. And nobody's been everywhere all the time at the same time. So our perspective might not be perfect. Amen. But somebody has. Who's done that? The Sunday school answer. Who's done it? Jesus has done it, right? In fact, he was even limited when he was in his human body. He couldn't do it, right? But then as soon as he's out of it, he is. God is. And so he says, I am that I am. Wait, that's a weird thing to say. I am that I am. I'm here. I'm there. I was there. And I'm here. And I'm everywhere. All the time. Forever all seasons, everything. Like, you have a timeline, that's great. I'm outside of it, I created the timeline. Right? It's crazy to think about. But worthwhile to think about. Okay, I'm not going to spend a lot of time in this psalm, but I just want to bring some, this, to me personally, I just think it does a great job talking about perspective. This is written by a worship leader, somebody who would sing, right, play some music, so as soon as I tell that to you, that automatically means that this particular person has some sort of like maturity in their relationship with God. They're somewhat important. They have some kind of influence. It's not like they just gave their life to God and they just decided to choose him. They've been with him for a little bit. They have some experiences. They have some history. They know something about God and who he is and how to worship him. Okay? <clears throat> so let's take a look. Um, Surely God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart. It's very important. I want to make sure don't space out in verse 1. That's an important one, okay? Verse 1 is his 
foundational thinking of where he knows his mind should be. Okay? You with me? He knows his mind should be. So that's like when we go through things and we're in life and we're like, okay, God, you said that you're faithful. You said that you hear me. Uh, you said you're going to work all things out. Okay, okay, right? That's like foundational things, right? That's where he's staying. He has to keep his mind there because he's about to kind of lose it, all right? It says, verse 2, But as for me, my feet had almost slipped. The worship leader, he almost slipped. I had nearly lost my foothold. How come? How did that happen? How does a worship leader almost lose it? Verse 3, I envied the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. So he started to slip and go down the wrong track when he was really focused on what was going on around. I should have that. I worked hard for this. I don't understand. I've always been nothing but faithful, but it hasn't for me. Right? And he's just getting consumed by that. Envy. Envy's a killer. A killer. Got him. The worship leader. None of us are immune. But he saw the prosperity of the wicked. And even like this morning, you know, as I was praying, we were praying like, man, there's just a huge part of me and probably also of you. You want to see justification done to those people that just do these things to like innocent people. We all know it's not right. Right? And you want to see like justification done. And, you know, probably a lot of us, you know, won't see it. Or there's a lot of wrongs that happen to people in life and it's like they're getting away with it. Anyone ever think that? I mean, honest enough, at least admit it. I mean, I know I think of it from time. I'm like, they're getting away. God, they're getting away. How can they get away? And then God's like, ah, you pray for your enemies like I told you to. I promise you nothing is getting away. It's not your job to police them. It's your job to love them. Right? So he's just struggling with this. Like he himself is like seeing the prosperity and it's like, oh, what about me? But then there's the other side of like, oh God, like, why, why, why are you letting it? How come? And if we stay in that mindset long enough, your perspective gets completely shattered because you're just stuck to your own information and your own location then, and then it's really bad. He goes, verse 4, Here's what it looks like to him. Not that this is fact, but what it looks like to him. They have no struggles. How true is that? Come on. Everybody's got struggles. But to him, it looks like they don't. Their bodies are healthy and strong. They are free from the burdens common to man. They are not plagued by human ills. Therefore, pride is their necklace. They clothe themselves with violence. From their callous hearts comes iniquity. The evil concepts of their minds know no limits. They scoff and they speak with malice. In their arrogance, they threaten oppression. Their mouths lay claim to heaven, and their tongues take possession of the earth. Therefore, their people turn to them and drink up waters in abundance. They say, how can God know? Does the Most High have knowledge? So he's just like getting lost. He's like, man, they say whatever they want. They do whatever they want. They hang out with whoever they want, and everybody wants to listen to them. They have a platform. I could kind of see where he's coming from a little bit. I definitely go around life sometime and I'm like, wow, how come people listen to that? I don't understand. 
Why do they want to spend so much time hearing that stuff? In verse 12, he goes, this is kind of his own conclusion here. This is what the wicked are like, always carefree. They increase in wealth. And then here goes his next thoughts. Surely in vain have I kept my heart pure. In vain have I washed my hands in innocence. A.K.A., like, I've been wasting my time on this holiness thing. It's not worth it. They get to experience everything that they want to do and have everything that they want to have, and they're all healthy and fine. Meanwhile, I'm stressed out. I'm trying to do things the best I can, and everything's crumbling. How many people know right now, like, this is not the reality? But it is his perception of it. Verse 14, all day long I have been plagued, I have been punished every morning. A.K.A., I'm discouraged, I'm disappointed, I'm depressed. Verse 15, if I had said I will speak this, I would have betrayed your children. When I tried to understand all this, it was oppressive to me. Right, he was just depressed, right? He was depressed. Verse 17 I have highlighted in my Bible, because something changes says, till I entered the sanctuary of God, then I understood their final destiny. Yeah, that's a big amen. Go, his name was Asaph. Go Asaph. That's why you pound it, you high-five him, and you say, yes, brother. You're stuck in your funk, and you're thinking your crazy ways. Thank God you kept going to church and hanging out with God's people. Thank God you had enough courage to at least keep showing up. Because sometimes, in some seasons of life, it's a huge deal just to even make it to the pew. And so many, I, I've experienced this so much as being pastor at this church in the short six years we've been here. So many people have been like, oh, I'm have, I had a horrible week. I feel horrible now. Everything's a mess. The last thing I want to do is come to church. I, I can't tell you how many times I've heard that. In a small church, I'm like, wow. That lie is just like running rampant. The lie of I got to at least have it pretty good, at least look okay, so then at least I can go to church. Ah. What a bunch of C-R-A-P. That's horrible. Horrible. Like the one place you should absolutely be going to is the hospital, a.k.a. the church. That is some of the greatest and most powerful te- I personally have heard the greatest and most powerful testimonies are the people that come forward and they share and they say, you know what? I know who God is. I know what his word says. But currently, it looks nothing like that. I struggle with everything that he has said. I don't even want to be obedient and really haven't been. I love that honesty. I absolutely love it. And the church needs more of it. And they don't need like a yay high five, like, you know, everything sucks, like, great. No, I'm not saying that. I'm saying let's at least just be honest, like, where our lives are at and what's actually happening. Come alongside, pick each other up, because other people would be like, oh, well, if they're reading their Bibles and praying a lot, they wouldn't be feeling that way. It's like, oh, my, really? That's what we're going to do now? And that's why people don't want to be honest and talk about things, because little Mr. and Mrs. Judges are going to come after them. It's like, man, like, 
I'm just so glad he just kept coming. I don't know what he was like when he was leading worship by that time. He probably picked horrible songs, you know, and he was like in his funk, you know. <laughs> like, what is wrong with Asaph? These songs are horrible. It's their perspective. Horrible songs. Yeah, they're probably right. But more information, like this guy's wrestling right now. Wrestling. You know what I mean? And that's even, jeez, uh, that's a conversation for another day. Whatever. Okay. Till I entered the sanctuary of God, then I understood their final destiny. Look how it all changes. Surely you place them on slippery ground. He was the one sliding. Now who's sliding? Right? He realizes they are. It says you cast them down to ruin. How suddenly are they destroyed? Completely swept away by terrors as a dream when one awakes. So when you arise, O Lord, you will despise them as fantasies. When my heart was grieved and my spirit embittered, I was senseless and ignorant. I was a brute beast before you. Man, verse 21 and 22. I don't know if you can at all relate to it, but I know personally verse 21 and 22 summarizes too many seasons of my life. I think the language is amazing. My heart was grieved, yeah, a lot of times. Spirit embittered, just bitter about all of it. And it's like you can't even go anywhere because you're like stuck. You said you believe in God and you're going to follow him, but then like everything seems like it's a wreck because of him, so it's like, ah! Maybe you've never been there. Um, senseless and ignorant before you. I was a brute be- How can you be senseless and ignorant and a brute beast before God? Honestly, the way that you could do it is just by sounding off on him and just, you know, he's king, Lord, and Savior. Um, and sometimes we treat him as though like it's equal playing fields and uh, we just have temper tantrums in front of him. And I would not suggest that that's a way we should always interact with God, but I would also suggest to you he also is God and he does understand and sometimes that's just the way it goes down. And the good news is he doesn't hold it against us for the rest of our lives. Because then when our perspective comes right again, we start talking like this. Like, God, I am just sorry. I know what I said. I'm sorry for just like saying that in that way and having that heart about it. It's <sighs> wrong, Lord. Just thank you for being patient with me. You know, like, you hear what I'm saying? Verse 23. Yet I, now, now, here he goes. He was slipping, he was falling. Verse 23. I am always with you now. <laughs> He's like the MVP on Jesus' team now. I'm not going anywhere. I'm Mr. Loyal. Yet I am always with you. You hold me by my right hand. See, his perspective is being built. You guide me with your counsel, and afterward you will take me into glory. Whom have I in heaven but you? And earth has nothing I desire besides you. That's a big deal statement right there. Because the thing that was leading him astray was everything in earth. Health, wealth, friends, relationships, success, that was everything that was leading him astray. And then, when his perspective changed, what happened? What does he start talking like? He says, ah, it is what it is. As long as I have you, Lord, we are, we are good. And that's where I need to be, is with you. That's a very, very important season in a Christian and a believer's life, when they can say that and honestly mean it. And if somebody can't say that and honestly mean it, then they also have to just be honest with God about that and be like, Father, I want to say that. That's in my heart, but I'm still learning about who you are. 
And then God, he will reveal who he is. You just keep staying humble with him. He will. He does. Verse 26. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. Now he's just like flowing. Those who are far from me will perish. You destroy all who are unfaithful to you. But as for me, where is it good to be? Right next to him. I have made the sovereign Lord my refuge. I will tell of all your deeds. So that to me, right, that psalm there, it's just like, to me, he had this entire outlook, right? And I think he made it really clear of how he was looking at life and what was developing and what was happening. And it all shifted and changed when he got outside of himself and he was able to get above the situation. Right? Completely changed. And what happened is he was able to change his location, right? He said, till I entered the sanctuary. Get to the Bible studies, make it to church, make it to women's groups, make it to men's groups. You need to be there. They're not all that optional. Like, they're really not. Not because someone's going to spank you after, but because, man, there's perspective that needs to be gained. We need to be encouraged and to be around his truth. And then once his location changed, the information totally changed. You heard out of his own mouth. It was amazing. He did such a good job. Go ASAP. And what's interesting to me is that, you know, honest, you know, probably just knowing people and knowing myself, it's an amazing victory, great season for him. He's probably going to have to, like, deal with something with perspective again later in life, right? Like, we all know most things that we deal with and come in contact with, they're not just a one-time deal and it's just over with. They come back in different ways and different forms that God speaks different things. Sometimes people think they're going backwards and you're really not. You're just being pruned even more to be even more fruitful. So, Palm Sunday, you know, their perspective, like, oh, man, they're praising, blah, blah, blah. They had these expectations. Perspective was totally off. I so wish it was on and they could see. The Bible says something very interesting. It says it was hidden from them. Right? We read that, right? So I'm like, man, who hid it from them? Like, did God hide it from them? Did the devil hide it from them? Uh, were they just hidden by their own agendas? You know, it, the Bible doesn't spend a whole lot of time talking about who did the hiding and why they did the hiding. But it's abundantly clear that there was lack of vision and lack of perspective and it caused them to go down a particular route that was not good. Right? So I think of Palm Sunday, I think about perspective. I don't want to at all come I don't at all want to come before Jesus and be worshiping and like be giving him praise and honor and just having things not right inside and having things be wrong. Oh, because I've done it. I've done it. I'm going through many more seasons now where like, and I haven't really experienced that in a while. Praise God. But it's not because I'm doing anything. It's just, I'm just cooperating with him. It just makes it a lot easier. So just two quick takeaways, okay? Number one is, you're always, or sorry. Number one is, you will always have blind spots. You're always going to have, when it comes to perspective, you, me, we got blind spots. I don't care how many mirrors you have. 
blind spots. And that just leads to a humility that makes, it, that makes us very less hostile. It, it makes us, uh, you know, very workable with others. We just realize we're not seeing everything. We got blind spots. Just happened. Other takeaway is perspective is something you have to fight for. I got to fight for it. You got to fight for it. It doesn't just show up by default. It's something we have to be intentional about. Intentional. Intentional about acquiring the right information. Intentional about being in the right location. Amen on that? All right, we're going to take some communion here and further our perspective on what the king has done for us. So if we could have, uh, Michael, do you mind coming up and passing the elements out? And um, you may want to give him a hand. Another clapping hand. Thanks, Kayla.